Welcome in Hokies fans to this edition of the Tech Sideline podcast. We record on Monday, November 14th, as we look back at Virginia Tech's 24-7 loss at Duke over the weekend. On episode 271 of the Tech Sideline podcast, we'll discuss how the Hokies came up short despite taking an early lead, talk about this week's ACC power rankings, and of course, talk a little basketball as the Hoops team is off to a hot 3-0 start. All that and more coming up on episode 271 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you in whether you are listening or watching on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there and also turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any future podcasts. Want to let you know that this edition of the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, who you choose to bank with can make all the difference in your overall experience. First Bank and Trust Company is the bank that puts you first. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. Let's go ahead and introduce the crew for today. On set, we have Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline across the way. To my right, Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist. Giovanni Heater in the fourth chair today. Carter Hill producing behind the scenes. And I'm your host for today, Katie Adams. Before we jump into conversation today, as we record this on Monday, November 14th at 10.47 a.m., there has been a deadly shooting that occurred at the University of Virginia last night resulting in three fatalities and two additional victims. Just completely heartbroken for everyone affected by this horrible tragedy in the city of Charlottesville, of course. Just wanted to say that we send our thoughts and prayers to you all and know that we stand with you and support you as you navigate this emotional time. Will, do you have thoughts? Uh, it, uh, you know, times like this are difficult because what we do for a living is we talk about sports and, you know, it, it feels kind of silly. Um, when you come into the office and you see what's unfolding and, you know, so that, that's all I wanted to say that, uh, uh, you know, we gotta, we gotta forge ahead with the show here, but, uh, like you said, definitely our thoughts and concerns are in prayers are with everybody affected by this. And, um, we, we are not going to get into any of the details, you know, cause we don't know them. There's still a lot of stuff coming out. Um, so uh, just keep an eye on things, and uh, you know, again, we're we're thinking about you, and off we go. As hard as it is to kind of transition from a topic as deep as that, we do have to get into the Duke matchup from this weekend. Will, I know you were there in Durham. How was that experience for you? <laughs> Very roomy. <laughs> um, yes. Sorry, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, I, w- I would recommend um, if, if you're local at all and you can make it to a Duke game, go to one. Um, this is the second one I've been to down there. I went to, I guess, the last pre-COVID one. Um, with with the the Dalton Keene, yeah, yeah, know, I was at that it was right. like yeah. the week after we had lost to ODU. That's correct. correct. It That's was like correct. the come bounce back game, bounce if back. you will. Right. Yeah, um, I parked in a a parking lot that was, gosh, I don't know, 10, 15 minute walk to the stadium, free. You know, so it's 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 easy access. If you look at my Twitter, you will see that there were a ton of empty seats. Um, <laughs> 
they've, I, I don't know, you know, forgive me, I don't know the details about what they've done to Wallace Wade. I know they did some work to it, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. The press box is what they did mostly, and it, 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 the press box is really something. Yeah, the, the concessions are good, you know, there's lots of room to move around. It's a, it is different. It is like going to a high school game, you know, and, uh, but uh, it's a lot more fun if Virginia Tech wins, yes. you know, but uh, I would, I, again, I would recommend if you're anywhere close to Durham, go to a future Tech Duke game there at Wallace Wade. Got to give it to them when you can move around and sit wherever you want because there's no one there and they have multiple barbecue options at the concessions <laughs> at low prices. It yeah. makes for a good day, I will yeah. say, besides, of course, the result of that game. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get into the offensive performance. It started out with a 53-yard Dewan Lofton touchdown on Virginia Tech's first drive, but unfortunately that momentum was not carried through the rest of the game. Did you get a little hope after that play when they started out on such a hot start? It usually take it usually had been such a slow start offensively in games past. I, I think I, got, I was at the point where I should really have hope right now. That's how I was feeling. Then I was like, mm. but I don't really feel like I, sh I don't want to. I don't get myself up like yeah. that. But uh Brent Pride talks about complimentary football, and Tech got it early in the game. I think it was the opening kickoff when Tucker Holloway tackled the returner at like what? Like the 15. Or, yeah, it was, or it was way back, that, yeah. yeah. So and so Tech forced the punt, and then they got great field position, and then they scored that quick touchdown. Right, because Tech forced a three and out for Duke. Right, right, oh. right. And then they forced Duke to punt again, so Tech's second drive also started very near the 50. So you're sitting there. That's the point where I, real, where I actually did – kind of have hope. I'm like, all right, we're up seven, nothing. We got the ball at midfield. Now we were winning the, the field position game, yeah. but then I uh, couldn't score out of that. And it was, a uh, just sort of like Duke didn't blow tack off the field, but we just sort of died a slow. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like in basketball. If you get a dunk off the opening tip, you know, it's, it's a nice play and it's a lot of fun, but there's a lot of basketball. Yeah. It's like, you feel great. You're winning at the first TV timeout. And, right. Yeah, there's a and, lot. And, but I, I just I had so my angle on that touchdown pass was it was thrown away from me. Mm -hmm. And even even so I didn't have a great angle on it. But even then I thought, wow, that's a heck of a play. You know, mm -hmm. he, he dropped it right in there. And, well, you, and you're thinking, you know, Duke's corners are their weakness. Yeah. And we exploited it on our first drive. Yeah. And so you're sitting there like, OK, we, we might have something going. And it wasn't Caleb Smith. And that was one of the keys to the game. It's like it has to be somebody besides Caleb Smith because you know, Elko has a tendency to sometimes take the other top receivers away and, and, and bracket coverage. So it had to be other tech receivers. And it was on that first drive. So you, you got some good thoughts there, but couldn't sustain it. And I want to talk more about that. We talked in the preview about the weakness of this Duke team was their corners. And so after they had that explosive touchdown earlier in, early in the game, you expected them to have that same approach um, as the game went on and, and get your receivers more involved. But they didn't really go back to that same approach, which was kind of a mystery to me the rest of the game. Yeah, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'd have to watch it closer and see if they bracketed Caleb Smith or anything like that. But it's, it's just been a struggle for Virginia Tech all year. It's not like it's been difficult for other teams to get receiver. It's like Boston College, like Virginia Tech, they've got one receiver, right. and they still scored 31 on Duke and they got guys running open and everything like that. And that uh, one receiver is Zay Flowers. Yeah. <laughs> that one receiver is Zay Flowers. Um and yes, that helps, but you know, it's just, it's just disappointing that, that Tech couldn't take advantage of something that's that, was been, there. that was there and it's been there all year and you know it's there and it's it's the tenth game. Not much is gonna change at this point. And everybody else has been able to take advantage of it. Now I, I, I Duke what 
I'm not surprised. Duke won by 17. I picked Duke to win by 17. It was just lower scoring than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at the specialty stats, uh, specifically uh, what's called big yard plays. And Virginia Tech had three passes of greater than or equal to 20 yards, and one of them was on the second play of the game. And honestly, I don't remember the other two. Oh, I think it was, I think one of them was to Caleb Smith, and it was on the second or third possession. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, so there was nothing after that. Yeah, right. You'd mentioned it several times, Chris, where we had been waiting for this Lofton preseason hype to come to fruition. And of course, it did in that play, but it's a play that you were hoping to see earlier than game 10. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, he got a touchdown against Pitt, um, but it's been very quiet for him other than that. And, you know, it's it's now it's you saw Justin Fuente sit in that chair and call him a stud. stud. And then you saw play like and before the season like every player on this team that I talked to I said who's the breakout offensive player to a man they all said Dewan Lofton and you know the coaches were excited about Dewan Lofton so that's two teams two staffs in a row that see it from him in practice but for whatever reason they can't get it out of him in in games nice catch though that's was, not, that's not was. an easy catch one that drops right in here like wasn't this. an easy throw either because the Duke player was hitting wells as he threw that I thought it was a beautiful pass. Yeah. Like watching the replay, I mean, it, it just went right to Lofton's chest. That's, rem- not, that's not the first time this year he's made a great deep pass just as he was getting hit. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I remember the ODU one. Yep. Yeah, um, it was fantastic. So that's that's the least of our concerns is his ability to throw the deep ball. <laughs> yes. we, have, we have to get more guys open on the deep ball. Yeah. I believe after that series, they handed it off to Holston three times. Holston led the team in carries with seven for 35 yards. 35 yards, six carries for King with 27 yards. But Tech's run blocking improved during this game. It did. Uh, for So back-to-back games, Virginia Tech has had their two best run blocking grades of the season, according to PFF. And you've seen a wider variety of different types of run calls over the last couple weeks. And it's making it di- more difficult for defenses to to draw a bead, as Brent Pry would say. Now, now Pry has said it. Like, they, they changed the offense in the middle of the season. He's and I put these quotes in my article yesterday. He said, he basically pretty much said, yeah, after a while we figured out we couldn't just run too tight end and try to run the ball down their throat and then run play action. Um, so they've changed some things up. You know, you've seen some more read options. Uh, they're, they're not as easy to, to target, I think, if from a defensive coordinator perspective as they were. But at the same time, it's really tough to change everything. In, in the middle of the season. So basically, I, I think this the staff, they misjudged what they had and what they could do with it, and they've tried to change in the middle of the season, which is very, very difficult to do. Yeah, but so one of the things they struggle with and in, in looking at this stat here, this is actually the first time I've looked at it. I'm looking at third downs. Virginia Tech had 12 third down plays and only totaled 35 yards, which is 2.9 yards per third down play. Duke, by comparison, averaged 6.3 yards per third down play. So the Hokies, uh, third and less than or equal to three, they were one of two. Third and four to seven, they were three of seven. And then they faced three where it was third and long, greater than or equal to eight yards, and they were 0 for three on those. Mm-hmm. So that gets into, you know, I, I haven't really broken down the running stats, but can you convert on third down, particularly third and long? And, and they really couldn't. And let's see what Duke did by comparison. Not great on third and long, one out of five, but uh, three for three on third and short, four or eight third and in medium and one for five third and long uh but then again duke took some of those third and longs and converted them on fourth down that's true i think they did do that twice and that's been they? frustrating all year yeah that is because tech actually has one of the better third down defenses 
or, or at least decent. And they, and they got one of the worst, one of the worst fourth down, fourth down defense. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Let me get back to my point about run blocking. Is uh, you know, I said earlier this year that I didn't think Tech's players were being put in a position to succeed. Like, and I'm sitting there going over Parker Clements' grades right. last year, and he's 30 points worse this year than he was last year. He was a good football player last year, and now all of a sudden he's not. It's not like he suddenly lost talent in the offseason. He's the same talent level as he was last year. Well, as Virginia Tech has changed their their running scheme a little bit the last two weeks, he has his two highest run blocking grades of the year. They're back up in the 60s and 70s where they should be. He's played well the last two weeks as we've seen the types of running plays change. So he just wasn't being in a put, put uh, he just wasn't put in a position to succeed earlier this year. Yeah. Um, now, unfortunately, uh, Virginia Tech was a good pass blocking team earlier in the season. And now as they've sort of gotten a lot better at run blocking, now they can't pass block at all. So it seems like every time they fix something, something else breaks. Yeah, the sacks have definitely ramped up in the last few games. Uh, it wasn't too bad against Duke. They gave up two sacks, but they were for 16 yards. But there, there was a bunch of other pressures, and the overall protection was bad. And then he bad. flushed out. And, yeah, and, he, and yeah. matter of fact, he threw his grant. If you correct me if I'm wrong, Wells threw his interception on a play where he's flushed. He's running to his left. Mm-hmm. Well, which, running, the, which his left. running to his left is not throwing while running to his left is not his 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 strength. Yeah, that's a difficult. For he, can, he can do it okay when he's throwing to his right, yeah. but but not to his left. And uh, I don't really blame him for that because at that point, what it was was it 24 to seven at that point. I don't uh, remember. When you threw the interception, yeah. there was nine minutes, ten seconds left in the fourth quarter, okay. so I believe. So at that point, we hadn't done anything since the first drive of the game, and you're just, at that point, you're just like, well, maybe if I throw this up, something good will happen, because yeah. nothing well, else was good. Was, was that happen. on a fourth down? I don't remember. I don't Do know, remember, but Kate? it, it was, was. Carter says it was, so, yeah, you got to put the ball in play. Yeah. Don't, don't run out of bounds like Because it's not for, like you can just spite or just throw it away and then punt it. Because yeah. it's fourth down. They're mm-hmm. going to have good field position anyway, so you might as well take a chance there. Yeah. So he threw one interception in this game. He also threw one in the Georgia Tech game, which came in the fourth quarter as well. So I guess, I mean, they weren't bad interceptions. The one in the Duke game, it, like, got tipped and then secured. But I don't know if he there was a couple nervous guys towards there. the end of the game and just doesn't make strong decisions. Just trying but, to make a play. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I think – I think Grant Wells was a better football player at Marshall than he was at Virginia Well, Tech. so far, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so take that however you want to. Yeah, It's becoming a theme to have so many scoreless quarters. That touchdown ended up being the only points that Virginia Tech would score in this game. They had a chance to score a field goal right before halftime. It was not Will Ross, but John Love who attempted the 50-yarder. Being at the game, I didn't even notice that Will Ross had gotten bent. I, I thought, I, I thought I, it was odd that the kick was that short because yes. Ross has a stronger uh, leg. I, I knew it was happening. I, I, I was driving to PKs to, to watch the game, so I was listening to Burnup's pregame interview with Pry, and Pry said it on the pregame radio that they were trying a new place kicker. And they Do said we know the reason for that? Uh, they just they said they just they thought maybe that he was a better option and they wanted to give somebody mm. else a better better I think chance. he wasn't happy with the fact that Ross had missed his, missed his last two attempts and missed two extra points. Ross's well. kicks are low. Yeah. Like, maybe he doesn't have the strongest leg in the world. Blocked. So, yeah, definitely. Like, that, the block against uh, Georgia Tech was, was – it was – like, the, the Tech line blocked fine. It was just the kick itself was low and too. they made it really easy to block. So, they wanted to go in a different, uh, different direction there. Uh, ultimately – doesn't seem like the tech has a great option either way. Yeah, I would. I don't know. I mean, I've only seen uh, 
Seen John Love kick once now. Well, he was a five-star kicker. Wow. Yeah, but here's Everyone the thing. Here's the thing. All right, so so my, my former personal trainer was the punter for Tech, and so he used to go all those kicking and punting camps. And he was like, to get that five-star status, there's like two or three camps that right. you're supposed to show up to. If you show up, they give you five-star status. Yeah. Right. So we can, we can ignore star rankings for kickers and punters. Scott Glesner said that the TV broadcast said it was for low kicks. Yeah. So, okay. Very much like the Alabama Tennessee game winner that was insanely low. If y'all oh, watched the yeah. video of that oh, replay, goodness. just got over. Yes, mm. exactly. I guess I don't know how much you can expect from a true freshman in their first ever collegiate kick to make it from 50 yards. You would hope, though. I mean, that's all that, they practice. I guess though, the the worry is that it didn't have the distance either. Yeah. Maybe yeah. now maybe the he, wind was all. It, it was in his face. The wind okay, was well, coming it, at him. Okay. He was and kicking he, into it. And, and he knows why Ross got benched because Ross had been kicking low. Here's the thing. To kick a 50-yarder, you have to kick it low. Right. 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 So I don't know if he decided, well, Ross got benched because he'd been kicking it low, so I'm just going to kick this one high. High, and it's when the wind is kind of coming into your face, that's that's kind of a recipe for the kick being short. So yeah. so then it affected his decision-making later when it was 17-7, to 7, I believe, and, and Tech was within ordinarily within field goal range mm-hmm. and – Pride decided to go for it on fourth down. And I think that was the same play that went in the corner of the end zone to Caleb Smith. Caleb Smith, who was in double coverage. That's exactly what I was going to bring up next. But but Caleb got it. He's Caleb's made that catch. He's made it nine out of ten times. That's what I said, turning to my sister. Like, he makes that That 90% of the time. That guy makes that catch. That was the right guy to go to. So what is y'all's – that's what I was going to ask, is what is you all's opinion on that play? Do you agree with going for it on fourth down, or would you take the points? Do you you remember the distance? Uh, I mean, we can look it up. Fourth and four was what we... But how long would the field goal have been? I'm fine with the decision. And I think think Virginia Tech struggles to even get down and get within touchdown range anyway. So take your shots. So so there's no guarantee that they were... Let's say they had kicked a field goal there. Right. um, And it was 17 to 10. There was no guarantee you were going to get back in a position to have a chance to score a touchdown Mm -hmm. again. So you need to try... While you're there to score the touchdown, you've got a better chance of getting back into field goal range than you do touchdown range. Right. That's a good point. So, so uh, I, I think he did the right thing. There. We trailed by 10 at the time, so Caleb Smith makes that catch. It's only a right. three-point game. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think he did the right thing there. Um, I, I, can, I, can, I certainly understand the other argument, too. But I, I think when your offense is as bad as Virginia Tech's is, you're the head coach, you're trying to find a way – to coax as many points out of them as you can, mm-hmm. uh, that ma- that makes those decisions sometimes more difficult, but sometimes easier. And I don't honestly don't think that was a very difficult decision. Um, if, if you're in now, you know I watched the the Carolina weight game on Saturday night, Shoot and there, there were some questionable decisions by both of those staffs inside the ten yard line. Yeah. They the, both of them went for it on fourth down, like inside the ten at various points, and got stopped. Mm-hmm. North Carolina ended up winning. But it wasn't. I don't think it was a great decision for for them to go for it on fourth and one earlier when the field goal would have given them the lead, and then Wake could have gone up. I mean, you know, Wake ended up losing by two, and they they gave you know, they gave up the chance to score three points earlier in the game to go for it on fourth down. So, uh, I, I but I think those decisions, like when you know you're going to get the ball back, and you know you've been scoring points, right. um, but for Virginia Tech, it's like. Man, we've got a chance to score a touchdown here. We might never have that chance again in this game, so we need to take advantage of it. So since we're talking about third down, third downs and fourth downs, this is the first time I looked this up, so I wanted to share it because it, it matches my perception. So on offense, Virginia Tech is 118th in the country in third down conversion percentage. 
uh, 31.2%. Not great, 118th in the country. <laughs> On fourth down, they're 27.3%, which is tied for 129th. So Tech struggles to make it on third and fourth down. Now the opponents uh, convert 34.2% on third down, which is Virginia Tech's 33rd in the country. It's one of their best, if not the, I think it's actually the best team stat they have. Yes. But then you look at opponents' fourth downs, they convert two out of every, two out of every three, and Tech's defense is tied for 117 in the country. So not relevant to making the decision, but I was looking the stat up and thought I'd share it. So, so the Hokies do a really good job defensively on third down, but struggle on fourth down. We'll talk more about the offense, but want to toss it over to Gio for the first time. Yeah, so uh, I think it's a good time to uh, bring up stat time with uh, our guy Scott Glesner. So uh, he put some really interesting stuff in there, and we'll start with uh, this one. The last time Virginia Tech has lost to two in-state opponents in the same season was 1976. That was against Richmond and William and Mary. The last time Virginia Tech lost to three in-state opponents in the same season was 1957. That was William and Mary, UVA, and VMI. Obviously, Liberty and UVA left on the schedule, so uh, interesting there. Already mm -hmm. lost to Old Dominion, and uh, it's been a long time since they've lost to two and, and three in-state opponents. Well, I in guess it's season. a good thing there's uh, not a fourth in-state opponent. Uh, <laughs> on the schedule this year. On the schedule. <laughs> Every week we have more disappointing stuff yeah. to talk about, unfortunately. Yeah, and then uh, and then another one for you um, that unfortunately also is, is a negative. Uh, November 13th is the earliest that Virginia Tech's men's basketball team has more wins than the football team. Yes. The earliest before that was November 22nd, 1950. Football had no wins, and men's basketball won their season opener and was 1-0. All these things going back to the uh, 50s, early 50s. It's been a long time. It's been a, it's been a while. So since, since we're like throwing out horrible stats, let's throw out a good one. So, you <laughs> know, Virginia Tech, had, Virginia Tech had zero penalties against Duke. Now, they did have a penalty. It just wasn't accepted. Oh. But, uh, was so, that an Armani Chapman pass it was, it was a pass interference. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they yeah. picked it up. Um, or no, it was declined. Okay. So looking at the Hokie Sports stats database that Damian Salas puts together, it goes back to 1987, and that's the first time Virginia Tech's ever had zero penalties in a game from that in that stats database from 1987 on. So I looked up the – there were four other times where Tech had one penalty, and I think it's interesting to look at the games. First of all, uh, zero penalties they lost, and they also lost two out of the four games where they had just one penalty. So in order chronologically, when Tech beat uh, UAB in Blacksburg 37 to nothing in 1997, Tech had zero penalties. That hideous loss to East Carolina in Charlotte mm -hmm. when it was 140 degrees yes. that day, mm -hmm. Virginia Tech had only one penalty that day. Penalties were not their problem that day. Then uh, against you, this is clutch, against UVA in 2012, Tech won 17 to 14 and had one penalty that day. Last second field goal to win the game, I believe. Yeah, thanks to uh, Mike, London's uh, Mike London's stellar clock, clock management. management skills. Mm -hmm. And the last time Virginia Tech only had one penalty in a game was the Syracuse game last year. And, and Tech, lost. Tech lost that game 41 to 36. <laughs> so a lot, of those, a lot of those games were... Three out of the top five were losses. Crazy. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Now I have stats too. Okay. <laughs> stat time with Chris Coleman. These are bad stats. Uh, these are bad <laughs> stat stats. Stat time with Chris Coleman. Uh, so this is from our friend Shelton Moss. And so he was at the basketball game last night and we were all talking. He keeps the S&P Plus data and he's got it all the way back to 2005. This is Bill Connolly's advanced stats. Yeah. Um, 
As of week 11, the Hokie offense ranks 123rd nationally with uh, 14.8 adjusted points per game, and that essentially corrects for tempo, strength of schedule, and things like that. And probably defensive. No, I don't, I don't not know. Not sure about that. This is, the, But that's the worst power mark of all Power 5 teams this year. Right. Uh, but it gets worse than that, all right? Since 2005, the Virginia Tech offense, if the season ended today, would be the third worst Power 5 offense ever by adjusted points per game and the fourth worst ever by just the, the raw data. Right. That's 1,180 teams, if you include the old Big East, like when West Virginia and Louisville and all that were all still in the Big East. So third or fourth worst since 2005 out of 1,180 teams. That reminds me of when Pittsburgh beat Tech 52-22 to back in 2018, and Pittsburgh averaged 13.9 yards per game. and Per play? Per play. Was it, was it that low? It seemed like a higher than that. Uh, it, <laughs> and and I crunched the and – that, and that was like the highest number between two FBS teams. Mm. And I crunched the numbers, and it's like the worst yards per play performance out of 17,000 games or something like that. Right. Mind-blowing stuff. Right. And the other one, I guess, is uh, you told me this one. And Virginia Tech is now the only FBS team who has not scored 30 points in a game this year. Yeah, right. FBS, not Power 5. Right. Right. So because UMass – finally hit 30 points in a game this past weekend. So now Tech is the only FBS team to not score 30. Yeah. So even Wa- <coughs> excuse me, even Wofford. No, well, no Wofford oh, is wait, FCS, not, right, yes, right. Okay. But it, there's, a, there's 131 FBS teams, and Virginia Tech is the only one to yeah. not score 30. So, so I, I've, I, I've, I, I've got a couple. Before, I, are you going to editorialize now? Or <laughs> can yeah, I do so I'm going to editorialize. All right, so I, 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 you're going to say Virginia Tech lacks talent. I agree with you. I also don't think Virginia Tech is the third or fourth least talented team out of in the 1, country 000. out of 1,180 teams. Yeah. We have much, much deeper issues than our talent level. There, that's, there, that's my editorial. There is a point where it is about the coaching yes. and not the talent. Yes. So, um, so Virginia Tech is number 123 in scoring, and this includes defensive and special team scores, at 18.9 points per game. So they still haven't scored 30 points in a game, and uh, last time they failed to score 30 in a game was 1977. So they got, you know, we'll see how things go at UVA. They've got two games left, I guess. So I, I went through this exercise on Twitter, and I put this on the boards too, and I said uh, I looked at scoring, uh, not an advanced stat, just points per game. And the if, if you are in, out of 131 FBS teams, if you're middle of the pack, you are averaging 29.0 points per game. Mm-hmm. So if Tech averaged 29 points per game, if Tech scored 29 points every game, which is silly, that's right. not how it works, but, you know, humor yeah, me. Sure. Tech would be 7-3 and three if yeah. they scored 29 points per game. So if they were average offensively. Basically. Yes, from a scoring standpoint. Yes. And somebody said to me, oh, well, that would actually change the dynamics of some of the games. And I said, you know, you're right, WVU only scored 33 points. If Tech was in the midst of scoring 29, it might have dragged WVU down and you'd be 8-2 and two instead knows, of 7-3, and right. three, you know. So that kind of puts into perspective. If you were just average every time out, you'd be seven and three. So close. Well, that was a fun little <laughs> stat time with Chris Coleman and, and stats <laughs> tangent in general. Of course, going back to the zero penalties, that means no sprints this week, although they probably should be doing some sprints Ooh, in general. Yeah. But Duke only had four penalties for 30 yards, so we didn't get much help there. Of course, the only one interception 
going off of that stat in previous games, we were able to blame losses on the amount of penalties or the amount of turnovers. But what is this one? Uh, you got out executed, out schemed, out coached, uh, all the all some out talented in some aspects. But at the same time, this Duke team has improved by forty points per game last year. They lost their ACC games by an average of thirty-two points last year. This year in their ACC games, they're averaging they're ten points eight. ahead. They're yeah. like plus ten, plus eleven, something like that. So they flipped it on a dime. Yeah. And they didn't add that many guys in the transfer portal, just six. The big thing. Seven. But, but Yeah, seven. Okay. Six that contribute. Right. So but yes. then they lost their two best players. Yeah. Right. So, and it's, uh... so here they are. They've just. And, I, and I'm not saying this because just a blast on the tech staff. I'm saying this because, like, Duke is really remarkable what they've done. Yeah. Like, nobody would have predicted this. They got picked last in the Coastal for a reason because they looked like a terrible football team and they've made it work. Duke ends their season at home against Wake Forest. I mean, if they win that game, undoubtedly Mike Elko has to be coach of the uh, year. He has to be. Doesn't uh, matter what Mac Brown does. Yeah, I agree. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think he, sh- he should be. Uh, that's going to be a really interesting game because yeah. uh, Dave Clawson was Elko's mentor. Mm-hmm. Was his longtime defensive coordinator at like Ooh. Bowling Green. Rich. I think he was with him at Richmond. Pupil defeats the teacher. Yeah, it could be. We'll see. <laughs> Um, so I'm sure Duke fans are going to show up for that. They'll probably turn yeah. out 15,000, so. 16,000 maybe. Yeah, uh. they do this thing at the Duke game that we noticed. For students that stay through the whole game, they give out like tons of money in the fourth quarter. They give quarter. them $100. You can win, no, you can win $1,000 in the fourth <laughs> quarter just for being a student that stays the whole game. So that's their incentive to get students stay. to stay. I mean, it's smart. I would stay the whole game, of course, regardless. But for the fans that don't, you and win $1,000. So they, they blast out of that video board they've got they blast right up until you're lining up to snap the football on offense because they got no crowd noise so they're just cranking music y'all have you ever seen the movie major league you know it's on my dvr right now haven't watched it in a long time but it's waiting they're having attendance problems because the team is so bad and at one point they announced die hard night and they give free admittance to anybody who was actually live the last time the indians won the pennant it reminds that's, me that that's that's something that, that reminds me of the whole student thing at Duke. Oh, it reminds me of Frank Beamer's first year when they played Cincinnati at the end of the year. Uh, it was like ten thousand people there. There were it was ten thousand. So it was cold, and apparently there was snow all over the place. And what did Frank say in his book? He said something. He, he like, He said he wished he could find out exactly who those ten thousand people were. were and give them a big party or something. Buddy, like mine was one yeah. of them. He was, was he? there. Yeah. Two more things to get to regarding the offense in the first half. Across the board, the offense struggled, but one stat that really stood out to me was time of possession in which they were outgained all four quarters. We'll, of course, talk about the defense in the second half, but you just can't have them out there as much as they did. Yeah, um, it's been an issue. I don't think it was as much of an issue the previous two games as some people made it out to be, but I think it was an issue in this game. I I do think when you're out there that much against a team that likes to run it as as much as Duke does, it's not only difficult physically, but you reach a point where mentally you're worn out and you just don't want to focus anymore because at that point by the fourth quarter it becomes clear that the offense isn't going to score so you're just basically out there waiting for the game to end it makes it really hard to mentally focus in when you're out there for that many snaps and you're not getting any help yeah it it probably peaked at uh mid-third quarter duke was winning 17 to 7 and they had 51 plays to tex 30 Mm -hmm. and their time of possession was 20 601 to text 1104. Right. So 37 now, minutes they had the ball 26. Now at the same time, um, Tech had some big mental breakdowns on defense and coverage on Duke's first two touchdowns before the Tech defense got tired. Right. Um, stuff that's just 
every now and then you do expect a breakdown in coverage. It happens to even the best teams. But these are the, the players making the make mistakes for Tech in a lot of cases were veteran players who've been through all the battles. And you just see a slot receiver running a quick three-yard out, and then there, nobody goes with him. He's just there. And then you see uh, another wide receiver just run a basic corner route to the pylon, and both defensive backs go to the inside. And it's just and it's wide open. Like any college quarterback can complete those passes. They're just so wide open. Um, we haven't had a receiver running that wide open all year. Yep. And uh, it's it's uh, so yeah. I mean, the, those were just mental lapses by the Virginia Tech defense early in the game before they had gotten worn out, before they were mental, before they were mentally tired, before they were physically tired. So uh, there's too much of that stuff going on of, of where guys they just don't recognize where they're supposed to be in zone coverage, and that shouldn't be happening in game 10. So we sit here and we talk about third and fourth down conversion percentages, and it's one thing to look at the numbers, but it's another to, and I'm not backing this up with any empirical data, I haven't studied it or anything, but it just feels like a lot of the time, like that third and 19 against Georgia Tech, like the other teams just busting guys wide open. They're not really battling for some of those third and fourth down conversions like like Virginia Tech seems to do. And again, that's just a I'm lost in the field. Seems a there. little too easy. Yeah. Yeah. Scott brings up a good point that uh, I even forgot about. First play for Duke should have been a touchdown. Ninety yards. Yeah. He was gone. Oh, I mean, it was Calhoun, right. and he had who was in coverage? Was it Chapman? I, yeah, I, I, yeah it, was. it was. Yeah, it was, and he he cooked him. Yeah, and Riley Leonard just overthrew just, over, just overthrew it. Yeah. yeah, like that would that would have been a touchdown. Yeah, that's 100%. true. Another takeaway, my last one was the effort to get Tucker Holloway involved. What is it? His first snaps at wide receiver for this uh, game? Five against Wofford. Okay. Um, I think he got he got fourteen snaps in this game, caught three passes. So there was a concerted effort to get him involved in the offense. He was on the kickoff team, of course, wearing number twenty five, and made that great play. Uh, on the opening kickoff as a punt returner though Virginia Tech wasn't playing Georgia Tech this week so didn't get an opportunity so they, they, so they couldn't block anybody so he didn't get an opportunity to return punts that's going to be a real interesting red shirt this is I decision. guess we'll find out maybe I guess, tomorrow I guess I would think so at the press conference uh, I think we'll either find out tomorrow or Pry will say something like yeah we're going to keep talking about it all week and then we'll see what happens that maybe that's yeah. what I'd do like, even if I was planning on redshirting him, I might say that. So, at least Liberty, maybe they prepare for him. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I hate that will make the way that difference. college football is right now where you just, like, never know who's going to play. I mean, the Georgia Tech game, we all think it's Jeff Sims, and it's not. When we played BC last year, we think that Phil Dracov is going to play, and then he's not. So, that could be something, like, if they were trying to mismatch Liberty and they said he's going to play, but he's not. Just but he's not. So, like so in the so NFL, don't they make you issue an injury report? Yes. You, you can't to. be yes. fudging it. Yeah, it's, like, probable, questionable, doubtful. And I'm yep. sure there's punishments if, if, if they found out that you're intentionally – yeah. They, remember, had, remember, they had oh go ahead will remember when the acc did that for a while i think they were yeah. they and the teams just you know it was all sandbagged BS. it was all yeah BS. yeah everybody's yeah. questionable yeah. they had uh josh allen going into this week they had him hour by hour is what they, <laughs> not even like hour, hour by hour so did did he actually play Gio? and he, he started and played yeah. oh okay Rough yep. night for the Bills. Uh, you know, whatever. we're not going to talk about it, Katie. <laughs> That's going to wrap up the first <laughs> half, but I'll throw it back over to you, Gio, before we head to break. Yeah. Um, uh, another just uh, interesting question here. Um, this comes from Chris C. Uh, Given the historically poor offensive performance, does Pry have any other options other than a complete overhaul of the offensive staff this offseason? Um, I-, I will say this from a positive standpoint. Um. 
They, they have changed some things with the running game in the middle of the season that's made it more successful. Now, of course, the problem with that is the pass protection is completely broken down while the run, while the, while the run blocking has gotten better. My, my biggest concern, and, and, and this, I guess that this, this would be a concern either way, is, is you've got an offensive coordinator who comes from one offensive background. You've got an offensive line coach and your running game coordinator who comes from a Wisconsin background, which is kind of the type of offense Tech wanted to run, but now they figured out they can't. And then they've got Glenn who comes from kind of another offensive background. And those are your three coordinators, offensive coordinator, running game coordinator, passing game coordinator. They haven't been able to make those pieces fit together this year. Will they be able to make them fit together in the offseason um, if they don't make changes? I don't know. And I, I, I don't pretend to know what Pry's thinking. I, generally speaking, I've been following his lead all year. He's been very honest with the, with the media. And I wrote about this yesterday. He keeps saying, talking about, basically, he's said, we haven't done a good enough coaching job this year. Is If you read a lot of his comments, that's what he sounds like. I mean, whether it's offense, defense, or just team fundamentals, that's what he keeps. He doesn't say that directly, but when you say th- things like, yeah, we can't be so vanilla, we need to do a better job using our personnel, That's the it's the same thing, right? right? Yeah. Um, so I'll be really interested. Now, they, now if, if he did want to make a change, and I'm not saying he does or even that he should or anything like that, but... So Tyler Bowen was signed to a three-year contract rather than your normal two-year contract at $850,000 a year. So if you did want to make a change there, at the end of the season, it's going to cost $1.7 million. The the, the next offensive coordinator would probably at least want to bring in a couple of his own coaches. So you'd probably be talking about a couple. You'd be talking probably three-plus million in buyouts one year after you spent $10 million or more buying out the old coaching staff. So I have no idea if they could even afford that. Or the medium meal quality is going to continue to go down if they keep buying out. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, so let, let me address this a little bit as well. There are four coaches on this staff with three-year contracts. Tyler Bowen, you mentioned him. Joe Rudolph. So Tyler Bowen's 850K. Joe Rudolph's 725K. Stu Holt has a three-year contract at mm-hmm. 500K. And over on the defensive side, Chris Marv is the one with the three-year contract at 825K. So the coordinators plus Rudolph. Yeah. So um, – there, there, are, there are a lot of things are running through my mind. Let's talk about half measures and full measures. I don't think you're going to see any full measures, like like wiping out the entire offensive <laughs> staff. That's a full measure. That's right. not going to happen. So the half measures, there are different kind of half measures you can take. There are public things that you can see outside externally, mm. and that's just done for PR because coaches, when it gets right, right down to it, don't win games like that. And then there are changes you make behind the scenes, and that's when you can start – and the fans don't necessarily see this. You can start shuffling responsibilities and moving guys around that are already on staff. Mm. Um, the public kind of changes might be, and I'm not saying he's going to do this. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, we're moving Brad Glenn up to co-offensive coordinator. No, I think what – true, that that could be a and title. And that's a public thing, and the fans right. go, oh, at least he's doing right. something. But, right, well, if you, if you think you feel – if you feel like you need to make some kind of a change, but – you don't want to gut the whole offensive staff or you can't afford to, then yes, that's what you do. Uh, you, you just come out and say, well, next season, Glenn's the, the offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, and, and, or the play caller, or what, what, however you want to phrase it, and, if they want to do that. And other changes you can make that aren't readily apparent to fans is changing the style of offense. Which like they've the done in the middle of the season. Yeah. And, and Pry said, basically come out and said, we've done that. And 
but when you change it in the middle of the season, you can. There's only so so much you can do, right? Yeah. Uh, uh we saw him do it in the middle of the 2019 season, and it worked splendidly. Yeah. So it can happen. It's just not happening for. Happening but your for average fan who doesn't pay any attention to the press conferences isn't even really going to notice. That. That's why I've I've been including so many pry yeah. quotes in in my articles this year because yes, most people don't read read the quotes. But but you know, he's he's basically spent the whole season. I mean, he's been critical of the offense and what they've they've done with it. He's been critical of himself, saying I called two bad plays on those critical plays yeah. against Georgia Tech. He was critical uh, about uh, the Duke game, saying Tech mistimed the point where they show their defense, what kind of coverage there is, whether whether they're bringing pressure or not. And Duke burned them for it. And there, there were so many times I was when I was watching that game, I would see Duke would show would tip their hand on defense of what type of coverage, whether they're blitzing or not, and they do it right before Tech snapped the ball. Yeah. So when Tech snapped it, they were basically going right into the teeth of George Tech. It's like George Tech, excuse me, Duke, they knew when Tech was going to snap it or about when they were going to snap it. And so at that point, I mean, when you snap the ball, there's no way the play is going to work because they've got you running the play they want you to run. Yeah. So there's little things like that with with the, the with Virginia Tech that aren't working and that that talent doesn't matter. That's OJT on the coaches. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So they've got to get better. It's not just that it X's and O's. But the operation, like things like that, like the timing of, of when you show your blitzes and when you show your coverages and and mixing up when you when you snap it and everything like that. It's just so many little red flags like that that has to be tremendously improved upon. Yep. Monday, November 14th, 11.26 a.m., an update on the ongoing situation at UVA. The suspect is in custody, so an answered prayer for sure. That's going to lead us into our break here on episode 271 of the Tech Sideline podcast, presented by First Bank and Trust. Talked a lot about the offensive showing in the first half, and in the second half we'll get to the defense, do some ACC power rankings, and, of course, we'll get into some basketball. Make sure you stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back into episode 271 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Talked a lot about the offense in the first half, and now we turn the page to the defense. Defensively, we expected them to go up against a rush-heavy offense in the Blue Devils, and they did. Jordan Waters with 15 carries and Jalen Coleman with 13, a guy who we didn't know if he was going to play or not. He indeed did and had a big role. Comparing that to Holston and King's seven and six carries, overall I thought we did a better job stopping the run and didn't give up a bunch of chunk plays as we thought could happen. I thought the the game plan for Tech was sound. That they did have an eighth man in the box a lot. I mean, they had to slow down Duke's running game. Like if Riley if Riley Leonard had been allowed to run wild like he's been allowed to in recent weeks, that was going to be no contest from the very beginning. Um, so they did what they had to do. They they did they did as much as they could to take away the running game. Uh, Duke still ran the ball fairly well. But they didn't gash tech like I was afraid they were going to do coming into the game. Now, when you do that, that will open up a few holes in your secondary here and there. But even then, generally speaking, I think it was more coverage breakdowns on, on Virginia Tech's part, especially on those two touchdown passes. But yep. but generally speaking, I, I thought the game plan was sound and it was a better defensive performance than the than I thought it was going to be. Against so, the running game. Yeah, right? against the running game. So Duke averaged four yards a carry, but uh, going through Waters, Coleman, and Leonard, the longest carry was 14, 11, and 13. Yeah, so, so there's no yeah. big chunk yardage. So yeah, if you yeah. told me before the game that Duke was going to average exactly four yards per carry. You'd be like, I like our chances. And, and, yeah. and they weren't going to. Uh, and they, that we scored first. And we scored first. going to commit zero penalties. <laughs> no oh no running plays yes. longer than 14 yards. Only one turnover. Uh, in the exactly. Quarter. Turnover margin was even. I felt really good about all of that. So like, uh, so I'm disappointed of the coverage ball. But on the whole, 
Like I thought Duke was going to score a lot of points, and they've scored points recently against uh, against some other teams. I mean, they dropped thirty eight on Boston College, who who won a football game this past weekend. Yes, yes. So we'll talk uh, about it later. I yeah, cannot we will. believe it. Um, so overall, you know, I'm I'm happy because they scored fewer points than I thought they were satisfied. Score. Yeah. yeah. So the run defense was better than we had hoped. We obviously saw the pass coverage not as great. A play I do want to highlight was the incredible momentum swing that came when Monsoor Delane intercepted Riley Leonard on the two-yard line for his first career interception. This guy <laughs> continues to play at a high level despite his young age. And it was 7-3 to three at that point, right? That's, that's Tech, correct. Tech was winning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, oh, and those of you in the stadium actually got to see the interception. Yes. Those of us watching on television did not. because they, 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 they kept the camera the, on yeah. Riley Leonard. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I saw that like on the game. So they, yes. throw, they throw it, and I'm just sitting there like, what happened? And I, and, and I hear some people getting excited, and I'm like, well, is it a touchdown or is it an interception? I don't know. So I had a, <laughs> I had a good angle at that. That occurred like way down there, opposite corner from me. Mm-hmm. But I actually watched that receiver and Delane. On, I just watched the whole thing unfold, and he never yeah. should have thrown that ball. They shouldn't. You know? yeah. Yeah. Delane was in front of it the whole time. Yeah, yeah so Delane's a good player. Yeah, need, need, need a few more like him. Delane had a ton of family at that game, so mm-hmm. it was so fun to see, like, five 23 jerseys just, like, stand up and erupt after he made that interception. Mm-hmm. So thrilled for him. I really hope we have him in maroon and orange for years to come, but just want to point out the fact that you have to recruit the current players on your roster like you recruit the kids coming from high school. You, you do, and Delane is a special case scenario. Um, I, uh, I don't want to say that, like, he's looking to leave, but he likes it here. I, I know right. he likes it here. Yeah. But you also have to deal with – the modern realities of the college game and his brother is going to be a five-star recruit who already has dozens of offers from your alabamas and ohio states now where's the family from maryland maryland okay so he had a bunch of people come all the way down from maryland to be it his brother's a 2025 recruit his brother's sought after by every program in the country and delane is a very good player on his own right if delane entered the transfer portal he could get double what he would normally get an NIL money, I think, yeah. just because teams would be trying to get a package deal with him and his brother. So because each of them exists individually, both of them's value is raised. Yeah. Um, we Virginia Tech needs to come up with something for Delane in the offseason. I, I don't think he's looking to, st- looking to leave or anything like that. He's a great guy, heck of a football player. But the fact of the matter is like, he's going to get offered stuff. Whether it's whether he enters the portal or not, that's just the way it is in college football, and you can either stay here and make zero dollars, or go somewhere else and and make probably really good money for a player his talent level and who's related to a five star recruit. He'll make something here. He so he needs yeah. to make something here, and he needs to make a lot here. Yeah. Quite frankly, he probably needs to be our highest paid player next year. Yep. Um, so if if. I, I don't, and I don't. I don't think it's going to be an issue this year as much as it would be the next year because his brother's a 2025 recruit. But I'm just trying to alert people to the modern realities of college football. Now, Tech is involved in recruiting his brother. Yes, they are. How much so, do you know about that? Uh, the whole family likes Tech. Yeah, they like Tech very much. Uh, Man, Mansoor wouldn't be here if they didn't. And he has, yeah, he has visited. Uh, here, right, yeah, but uh, so I do think if Virginia Tech, I actually do think Tech. They have an opportunity. I think he's one of the few five-star guys they would have a chance to sign in this day and age. But they can't do that at 2-8. and eight. They're going to have to get a lot better this next year to, to have a chance. Even if like he wanted really to come here, it would be like, yeah, they're not very good, and and we can, yeah. I can go to Alabama and 
Right. Y- you know, so uh, I, if we get our stuff together, I do think we'd have a chance to land him. But the first things first is you got to take care of your best football players on your team. He's one of those that needs to be taken care of. I believe his name is Fahim. That's correct. Delane. That's correct. That'd be awesome if we could add another set of brothers and have both of them play here. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And and it, you know they would only be here together for one year, I think, since the younger is uh, okay. a 2025 guy. But uh, and again, I'm not I'm not criticizing the Delanes in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I and I'm not I don't know what's going on through through their heads or anything like that. But I'm just saying the fact of the matter is people are going to reach out to him just, with offers. Just that's it just out the there. way it is. Yeah. So. So if you're able to, you should go buy a Monsoor Delane jersey from Fanatics because he does I mean, only, get They only made like four pers- bucks a jersey off that stuff. Yeah. It's ridiculous. They so. really don't make much from it. But If, if you own a business that, that Monsoor Delane can promote for you, yeah, yeah, right. then well, go through Hokies Exchange. So like, how much is one of those jerseys? Like 140 bucks? They're 140 expensive. bucks. I'd rather just give Mansoor Delane 140 bucks. To, to at least he gets 140 bucks instead of four bucks. To do a Zoom call with your kids. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Elrods needs to sponsor an athlete. Uh, that would be the ultimate. He loves. Uh, he loves uh, Cabo. Restaurants are cheap. Really? Restaurants are notoriously okay. cheap. If you're expecting good nil money to come from yeah. a restaurant, yeah. you're gonna be waiting a long time. Yeah, that would be interesting. And he also loves wings. Okay. So, uh, so I, I listened to his interview Bull with uh, with, with, with Roth and, and PKs. That night. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anywhere that has wings or, or Cabo would be a good Sign fit for him. him. Up. Yep. Well, the big difference in this game was Duke's ability to convert on fourth down. They converted two out of three, which will really uh, wear a defense down if you're so close to getting off the field and you have to stay out for another series. That was one of the things that contributed to the loss. And you don't. The other thing that that people don't really talk about is a lot of times there is a commercial break between possessions, so it's not a it's not a huge deal. But there are sometimes when there's not. So if there's a three and out. You're a defensive player. You've barely sat down on the bench. And it's not just a physical thing. It's you don't even have a chance to go through your adjustments with your coaches right. and you're right back there, back out there on the field. So you got to pick up a couple first downs just to just to give your coaches a chance to to talk to their players about things they're seeing and things like that. So it hurts you hurts you physically, but it also hurts you from a mental standpoint. So I'm counting the uh the three and outs for Virginia Tech. One, two, three, four, at least four. And one of those three and outs came after the Monsoor Delane interception, which was just killer when you have a prime opportunity to take advantage in this game. Yeah, and, and I think and they actually backed up one yard in that possession. Oof. Three of the three and outs, they were all in a row spanning the first and second quarter. Yeah. Right, so hot start, and then uh, and I think then they picked think. up a first down on their second drive, and then after that it was, it was just you all You are correct, here. yep. yep. Overall, the defense held Duke to just 24 points, which was their second-to-worst offensive showing through 10 games. Can't really ask for much more, even Coach Price said after the game. We just fight and claw defensively to hang on, and when we don't get some help, it just makes it too much to overcome, of course, bringing it back to the lack of offense. Yeah, and he's right. I mean, when, when, when you score 24 points, or excuse me, when you allow 24 points, the average is scoring in tw- is 29. Is 29. So generally speaking, for most teams, when they hold the other team to 24 points, they are in there. Yep. Yeah, and you're, at least you'll have a chance to win. But yeah, it is, so it is kind of sad that when you hold them to 24 and you don't have a chance at all at the end of the game. Um, though in this case, like, I mean, I admire, like I said, I admire the, the defense's persistence and everything like that. Um, if they had been mentally into the game for the first two quarters from a coverage standpoint, though it, it could have been like, 
Oh my gosh, I guess it could have been could have been ten to three in the fourth quarter. Yep. You know? Wow, so Nasir people with Peoples with ten tackles to lead the defense. He's had he's yeah. had a pretty good year. The Peoples yeah. just had a pretty good year. Um Chamari seems to be as the season goes on, seems to be getting lost in coverage more and more. Um, Chapman has been hurt. Like there was a point in the season where he wasn't even practicing. They were just throwing him out there and playing him on Saturdays. So he hasn't been a hundred percent, but generally speaking, it's been, it's been a lot of like Mansoor Delane. I would say over the last four weeks has been Virginia tech's best defensive player and he's a freshman. So the issue has been some of the veterans. Last thing I want to add is that Duke had solid field position a lot of times. Our punting unit was something that we used to be able to rely on a lot, and it kind of has digressed this year. Yeah. Um, what else do you say? I mean, yeah, he, he, I, I wish it was better. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not. Not. The only thing I can add is, are we going to hear something? At is, he hurt is there something or, going on there? Right, right. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, he punted so well for Virginia Tech last season. And then the first four games of this season, he was just like he was yeah. last year. And then all of a sudden, it just fell off a cliff. So you wonder if there is some sort of little tweak, some little minor injury that's affecting him. You also wonder if they tried to change something with his technique, mm-hmm. and now he's overcoached. Yeah. And and, and, and not to compare apples and dump trucks, but you know we had no idea what was going on with the Tisdale situation until they actually went public with it. Yeah. Correct. And I, and I just wonder if there's something going on with Peter Moore as well. Yeah, it's certainly possible. So, but that doesn't change the facts that the punt team has turned from from stats a strength are, to a weakness. Stats stats, That's yes. all we're talking. We're not we're not criticizing Peter Moore because we do think that we do think he's either hurt or maybe they tried to change something. But yeah. I, but Somebody I don't. Somebody didn't turn his phone down. But again, like, it's like it's like. Or so Peter Moore was a very talented player, and he just didn't. Uh, it's not like his talent level dropped overnight, right? Okay. He's the same talent level, so he's either hurt or there's there's something from a technique standpoint that that they've gotten away from. Well, for the first time since 1951, Virginia Tech has lost seven consecutive games. Unless either of you have more thoughts on this game, it seems like a good time to move on to ACC power rankings. Frank Beamer was uh, five years old. In 1951, turned five years old. <laughs> and with that, we welcome David Cunningham, <laughs> David Cunningham to the set. On set. As we look at these seven ACC games that were played this weekend, that's the only time that that'll happen um, this whole season. We can start from top or bottom to top as I get this oh, you, out. You didn't end up putting tech, tech, full, tech I, last. And now I kind of wish I had because I feel bad because I, I have UVA last. Well, let's get into it. We can start from the bottom. David, like he said, he has Virginia Tech last, and Chris has UVA last. Virginia Tech obviously comes up short at Duke. UVA game uh, had an interesting start. Something we had never seen before, I don't think. Back-to-back pick sixes. So it was for 15 seconds in the game, and Pitt was up 14-0. Right. I looked at my phone. It's 14-46 left in the first quarter. Pitt's already up 14-0. That's basically why I have UVA last. Yeah. Um, It's because it was a higher level of – incompetence this week than we yeah. saw from Virginia Tech. So what have you done for me lately, right? Uh, so when you throw two pick sixes on the first, I mean, Pitt didn't have to score the rest of the game after the first 15 seconds, and they would have won, Yeah. right? Uh, so, and I look at Brennan Armstrong's stats, seven touchdowns, 12 interceptions on the year, his completion percentages dropped by like 11% or something. It's just not, it's just not a well-coached football team, and they were worse this week than Virginia Tech was, so I dropped them to last, as yep. much as I hate to say it today. 
So you both have Virginia Tech and UVA last. David at 12th, you have Syracuse, which has completely <laughs> fallen off after Geo's that. Geo's not happy. Dude, Any I mean, thoughts, Geo? 38-3 loss against Florida State. Well, I'm, first of all, I don't think our, our uh, viewers like when I talk about Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, So I'll preface it with that, so I apologize. Uh Dude, I don't know what happened. Uh, you can make, you could have made the excuse at first. Schrader got hurt towards the end of the game against Clemson. He looked like literally limping through yeah. uh, his scrambles the next game uh, against uh, Pittsburgh. Or no, Notre Dame was the next game. So they took him out. They lose Notre Dame. He doesn't play three quarters of that game. He doesn't play against Pitt. They lose get they, that game. Well, he played against Florida State. And in front of a sold-out crowd again, they lost 38-3. Uh, to three. So well, that's and, just and, incompetence. And, well, and also Florida State's destroying people right now. Florida State's good. I mean, they've given up six points the last two weeks yeah. combined. But so, you can't. You yeah. can't. Score three points, and I don't. Yeah. I don't understand what Syracuse just there. hasn't looked good over the past couple. Syracuse has got bowl eligible, and then through the no, towel. Yeah, four in a row. Yeah, say hey, first bowl game since 2018, so we'll take it. Yeah, Chris, you gave Boston College a bump from 14th <laughs> to 12th after that one point victory at NC State. I mean, of course, NC State gets away with the one point victory against us, but they drop it to Boston well, College. You know, the thing is, there's two games to film out on their quarterback now, so there's more chance for defenses to study strengths yeah. and weaknesses and all that. Um, BC has gotten better. It amazes uh, me. They almost Boston beat, Colleges won two ACC. I, we, I've sat here and said, you know what? Though, I'm going to keep them last all year. Yeah. Because there's no way they're going to win another game. They're that bad. Well, now they've gotten better their last two weeks. Like they took Duke down to the wire, lost yeah. that game 38 uh, 31. And now they went on the road against NC State. You've got to bump them up. They have a trajectory going up for sure. Both of you have Georgia Tech at 11, who surprisingly lost to Miami 35-14. to 14. I was going to take Georgia Tech in this game. I, th- I thought that was one of those games where I wouldn't have been shocked if, if Georgia Tech won because it's Miami. Yes. But also Miami is a more talented football team, and Miami's capable of playing well when everything comes together for them. It just doesn't come together for them very often. Yeah, Georgia Tech. Well, and did you see, I saw earlier, Zach Pyron's out for the year. Oh, oh my God. God. With, the, with the clavicle injury. So, so they are playing Zach Gibson. So what about Sims? Oh, is he back now? Last I heard, he was still going to be used in emergency situations. So they're not going to win again this year. Because yeah, because one of their last two opponents is Georgia. But they beat Virginia Tech by one. They did. They did. Unfortunately. So David, you got BC at ten after that one point victory. David or Chris has Miami. They won. Everybody else. I guess I could have put them above NC State, but. Chris, you dropped Wake Forest all the way down to eight after we talked about it earlier, that two-point victory for North Carolina in a shootout. The Wake Carolina game, I feel like, always lives up to the height. I think the last three Wake Carolina games have been decided by 11 total points or something yeah. like that. But they've they scored like 150-plus, both of them. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> David, you've got Wake at seven. Chris has Pitt at seven. What was that game? Yeah, some most of these teams like anywhere oh, between yeah. like five and nine. You can kind of interchange on a weekly basis. Yeah, all those seem interchangeable, but then the rest of the way, you all are pretty much locked. NC State at six for Chris, Louisville at six for David. They uh, lost to Clemson thirty-one to sixteen over the weekend. It was a spot that I think some fans thought Clemson might lose back-to-back games, but Clemson at home. No. Yeah, the one. You know, you can go back and forth between UNC and Clemson at number one. Uh, I just kept UNC there because I had them one last yes. week and they didn't yeah. lose. 
So that ACC title game will be interesting, and as Will walks in front of the camera. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so that ACC title game will be interesting. Uh, UNC. UNC could win that game. They, they could. I, I mean, they well, could. they've got a better offense, and Clemson's got a better defense. Right. It'll so be it's, it's UNC's be offense matchup. versus Clemson's defense. Who is better? Drake May, Heisman. He's the best quarterback in the country right now. If you I ask got a fourth me. question or a fourth chair question okay. that would go with that. Is there a chance? This is, I guess, a, uh, a question for all three of you because Katie loves uh, UNC now, apparently. <laughs> I just watch a lot of their games just because I have friends from personnel there. Alex White, our former director yeah. of recruiting, who's there. I love her. So I, I support know, just, her when I can. Just giving you a hard time. They're uh, fun to watch. They, they, are, they are very fun to watch and they score a lot of points. So. If they end up going out and winning out, uh, beating Clemson in the ACC championship, I think you still need help if, like, a TCU loses. But is there a, even a sliver of a chance that UNC is a college football playoff team? I think a no. lot would have to happen. A lot would have to happen. I mean, I when you know. think about it, this this is such a bad conference. I mean, yeah. Notre Dame hammered our two best teams. Hammered them. And Notre Dame's four and three against everybody else. Right. I mean, Notre Dame. Notre Dame even struggled with Navy. This went week. down to the wire with Navy. Ex- lost exactly. to Marshall. Yeah. I mean, they're they're in the, they're out there beating Clemson and Carolina by three touchdowns. And Carol- just physically uh, dominated. Carolina does have like like a, the Wake Forest win. The Clem- like if they were to beat Clemson, those are good wins. But the problem is, you know, if you're trying to put them up against even like a even like a a two loss. LSU or Georgia or Alabama or Tennessee team, I all of those, uh, all of those teams have better resumes than North Carolina. I, I think a team like Georgia would beat them by forty. Yeah, I mean so, they they just wouldn't be able to stop anybody in the playoffs. So how if if the ACC is that bad, which I, I'm not disagreeing in any way, <laughs> but how all year have they consistently had four to five top twenty five teams? Because. I don't know. It's so I think having, ranked, having top twenty five well, 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 teams is different than having. You know, like like NC State was a top twenty five team, but NC State had their starting had the ACC preseason player of the year, right? And then lost him. Yeah. And the only reason that they're going to drop out now is because, like, if they had kept winning, I don't think they would have really moved up. Well, but they wouldn't have dropped. The yeah. problem with rankings is that they're they start in the preseason and they yeah, shouldn't. True. They shouldn't have any rankings till a month into the season. And the thing is, like, you start to realize how bad a league is or good a league is about halfway through the season. Yeah. But you're still, you're doing your rank. Like you should really like, okay, now that we know all this, maybe we should scrap all the rankings and just kind of do a restart. Uh, but, but you don't, they don't do that. That's why you, you probably shouldn't pay attention. Yeah. The, to the only three ACC teams that should probably be ranked right now are North Carolina, Clemson, and Florida state. Right. I mean, right. NC state and Syracuse have both been ranked earlier this year and wake forest too. Mm-hmm. And they've all, Gone up and down. Wake Forest probably a little bit less. Syracuse was ranked, but yeah, but yeah, Miami Syri- ranked in the preseason. Absolutely, I'm yeah, sure they were. You know, yeah. like the ACC is not pan out at all. It's the worst Power Five conference, and like, sure, North Carolina. If North Carolina runs the table, they'll probably finish like seventh or eighth. I think. Yeah. You know, if you beat Clemson, but but, I mean, like I think you'd take a a two loss. Again, like a two-loss SEC team over a one-loss ACC champ Carolina team. If I mean, there there are so many other teams that would be taken over Carolina because they haven't really played anybody, and and they, but, the team you know them they barely beat Duke. 
well, they barely beat Appalachian State. They, and they barely, barely beat, beat Georgia, Georgia State. State. Yeah. Right. They barely beat everybody except us. Yes. I guess what I have to say from that discussion is this would be the perfect season to implement a 12-team playoff, but unfortunately we will have to wait several years for It'll that. be entertaining. Maybe next year, I think, 2024 or the I following hope. year. I hope. Gio, do you have anything else before we get into basketball? Yeah, well, actually, it's a good transition because it's uh, it's about basketball. So, uh, and, and this this might not appeal necessarily to uh, some of the older crowds. Sometimes they don't care. Like my dad said, he doesn't care about this stuff, but <laughs> I find it interesting and the younger crowd does. So three three things. Thoughts on the new uniforms, uh, mm-hmm. especially the ones they wore last night. And uh, I asked Will this question earlier. Thoughts on the how the banner was. Uh, they went with the logo, the AC Championship logo that they created when we won, uh, rather than kind of matching the rest of the scheme up there with, like, the ACC logo and then just saying, you know, tournament champions in the year. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, so what, what were your guys' thoughts on that? Uh I mostly like the uniforms. I do think the the different coloring up top and then on the one leg was a little, a little interesting. But the thing is, we were in the crow's nest last night in, in, the, in the special section that they give to sponsors and things like that. And so we're at the very top of Castle Coliseum. So I didn't get an up-close look at our uniforms from being okay. up there. I liked them. Yeah. Uh, but They're clean. Did you see the pictures online? I did, okay. but I, I didn't pay attention to that them that closely. Uh I'd have to see it more. I'd have to watch like a whole game of us playing it I before thought, I decided. I thought they were good. Yeah. I mean, um, like, like they weren't bad. I, I think they're pretty solid uniforms. As for the banner, I don't. The banner, I don't care about the logo. My, my question is why the banner's the same size as our 1996 Atlantic 10 West Division Championship logo True. banner. Yeah. Uh, it seems like to me like the ACC Championship banner should be like twice as big as... as is 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 like the eight is the A ten Western Conference banner and even the nineteen. That, that's true. We, uh, there, there might be some sort of stupid NCAA rule that limits the size of your banner. Well, you know, like that well, you know what's interesting is I didn't even think about it until um, I was getting ready to leave last night, and of course I can see it from press row because it's right there next to me. But I don't know if like if you're sitting in like how many people in the student section can. See, even even see that I don't just know. because we, we couldn't see it from the, well of course yeah. you guys can see from the crow's nest but it's kind of like behind the crow's nest a little right, bit right. so I, I don't know what could they have put it in a more prominent place yeah i'm surprised they went with the like with the actual like graphic i thought in, it would just yeah. be text instead of, of 2022 yeah. Yeah. i thought it should be like that because yeah. it, it would have matched the rest of them it looks kind of right. weird right. Yeah. yeah yeah although i, I guess if, there are a lot of people complaining on, <laughs> on the boards and uh in, in my articles. Yeah, well, we shouldn't complain at all. We are thrilled for this ACC championship. For those watching, it's literally just this. Yes, much that logo. Yeah. No, I will say this. I would prefer it to be bigger, and I'd probably just put the text up there myself. But yeah. at the same time, I don't care if it's like pink and purple. It's an ACC championship banner. Yeah. I will yeah. hope we hang up on some more of them. And I actually did have one more, and I, and I, I brain farted and uh, let you guys go. But uh, it, it appears that the suits are back for the coaching staff. Yeah, yeah, and, they uh, went away from the quarters. Three games in, they've worn suits, um, but it does not seem like it's back across the landscape of not only the ACC but college basketball. So I think this is an internal decision um, where where Mike yeah. Young Mike wants the staff. I asked Mike suits. where he got his suit last night. He said Roanoke. He's looking sharp. Some guy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, I actually pointed out to you in the scout box. I was, man, look at that. Suit. I think he said on the looking. radio that uh, Margaret, his wife, didn't didn't approve, didn't approve of it. <laughs> really? Wow. Um, I thought it was I sharp. Yeah, but uh, 
Well, he had the jacket off after for the second half. Yeah. But he wasn't very happy with the defensive performance, I bet. I was working uh, for the ACC Network last night, and they everyone in the headsets was made. When he was sitting down, he was, like, so frustrated about something, and he kept sitting down, and his pants were riding, like, all the way up to his knees. He had, like, rolled his suit pants up to, like, his knees. And it was like, that is bizarre. I've never seen that before. Now, is the women's basketball staff, they're still in quarter zips or casual yeah, clothes? as far as I'm aware, they've got a game tonight against... Uh, USC Upstate. Yeah. So, so that's your fashion update for Virginia Tech sports. <laughs> yes. <today>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so with that, we'll talk a little basketball before we get out of here. Two wins for the men's team since we last talked. One coming against Lehigh and one last night against William & Mary. So as we said, the basketball team already has more wins than football. <laughs> Most recently, last night, the Hokies beat William & Mary 94-77. to And we had an excellent pregame meal and view from up top in the skybox. Many thanks to Jeremy Counts and Main Street Pharmacy for allowing us to watch the game up there. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yep, it sure was. Yeah, the, you, get good, you get a good game. view up there. Yeah, the thing about that is you're up so high and you're all, almost like right on top of it because yeah. it's so steep that you a lot of those three-pointers, you can tell in advance whether it's going in or not yeah so really i would say angle. probably three quarters of them you you know yeah uh, tech, hit, tech hit 16 of them I yeah see. yeah so it was a lot it was an entertaining game to watch get out to a 14 nothing lead what like two or three yeah, minutes so, so that was game. three minutes into the game and i'm i made a point of that because if tech does not get out to that huge lead early i mean William Mary didn't score until a 525 mark. Yeah. They they started William Mary started 0 for 9 from the field. If Tech doesn't get out to that big run, like Tech did not do anything later in the game to necessarily separate itself because it had that 14 point lead. I mean, there would have been there was a point in that game where the lead got down to 15 and it would have been a 1 point game, you know, if you if everything goes. Yeah, but way. but my point is just that like Tech started off hot in the first five minutes, and then it was kind of an even back-and-forth game the rest of the way. It was. Uh, now, I will say that when you get up by that many points, when Tech was up by 20-something. Tech, I think biggest lead was 28. 28. You have a tendency to slack off mentally. And Mike Young is not going to continue to play this many players as he as they or as, at least this many players as many minutes. Like, Basili only played 20 minutes last night. Um, I don't think yeah, you're Mike was frustrated with his defense. Correct. Right. Uh, and he's been frustrated with Petit's defense as well. Um, MJ Collins is kind of all over the place. Like he doesn't know where to be in a lot of places. So when Virginia Tech starts playing teams that can beat them, you're going to see certain players have their minutes get cut. Yeah. And this is not going to be some big 10 man rotation. Like everybody thought it was going to be, or everybody wanted it to be. It's never hardly ever like that in college basketball. Um, it's going to uh, the rotation's going to change. Uh, the the minutes are going to maybe not be spread out, distributed quite so much as they are they are now. Like yeah. when Virginia Tech plays Old Dominion, and if they play Penn State, when they start getting into more competitive games, I think you're going to see Collins's minutes go down. Uh, we'll see what happens with Rodney Rice when yeah, he comes back. I mean, they're they're going to have to pick one of those backup centers. Like you can't keep playing three centers yeah. to a certain extent. And I think extent. kids played pretty well. He has, mm-hmm. but he I think I, I think Mike has to evaluate the defensive aspect Correct. of it because I don't think there's there is to an to a little extent. I do think like a lot of the you know Tech had a lot of open shots and just missed a mm-hmm. lot. Um, but I think I think this you know most of the guys can play offensively. That they can provide a spark. There's not much of a drop off. But right. defensively, there are some questions when 
when there are certain guys on the floor together. Correct. Like there, like there were times, even Basili, who's tech starting five, you know, where Basili or Kid or Poteet or whoever was in, I mean, Tech got eaten alive at times inside. So um, I, I'm very curious to see how he makes defensive adjustments and maybe he, you know, I think, I think Collins a little bit, looked all right defensively, but mm-hmm. I even think there were some sometimes where like, you know, guys like Sean Padula, you know, they he was like three you go a, maybe two or three seconds late to closing out on a guy on a wing coming off a screen. Mm-hmm. You know? Like it wasn't just the starters that were good and the rest of the guys right, weren't. Right, it, right. it was kind of uh at times lackadaisical across the board. Now offensively they are an absolute beautiful thing to machine. Watch. God, it's so good. Uh, Multiple times extra passes. Rothstein had a great tweet last night. He's like, the five things I love watching. Yeah, go ahead. So John Rothstein, of course, uh, tweeted, the five five things I love watching. And, of course, he's got his uh, Mike Young uh, popping like Orville Redenbacher Mm -hmm. thing. Favorite things to watch. One, a few good men. Two, Wall Street. Three, the Godfather, one and two. Four, Rocky two through four five Virginia Tech's offense <laughs> yeah and he also tweeted uh, the Sean Padula breakout tour continues now averaging twenty points per game through three games for Virginia Tech so I I Padula's been really really good and I'm in I'm mm-hmm. curious I'm going down to Charleston this weekend I'm curious to see when he faces some tougher competition and he doesn't necessarily get as much of a break sure uh, how he handles it but he played like thirty five minutes last night and and. Had, I think, four to one assist to turnover ratio. Yeah. So he's handled the ball really well. He has. He's done a good job. Uh, I think it's funny. Well, not funny. I think it's great that Virginia Tech is so good offensively and they're good offensively in, in women's bas- basketball. And God, the baseball team was just a home run machine. We're so good <laughs> at offense and everything. Except it's like we stole all of football's mojo and just <laughs> spread it amongst all the other sports. Yeah. David, Softball, too. Yeah. Uh, any kind of. Um, Timeline at all on a Rodney Rice? Um, Mike was asked at the very end of his press conference if Rodney was going to be back this week, and he said no. Yeah. So okay. uh, uh, my I, my guess is my from what I interpret, they're going to try to get him maybe some minutes for Charleston Southern on Black Friday. Um, yeah, which would lead into the ACC Big Ten Challenge on Monday against Minnesota, and then UNC the ACC opener is the following Sunday. They're gonna ease him in, but I think December, the beginning of December, is kind of where they want. I had originally heard around the beginning of December. That's what I heard very beginning, like when he first got hurt. Um, and it sounds like that at first it wasn't clear, like is he coming back to practice then, or is he gonna play then? So he's, I guess he's already back practicing. He now. was, he oh. he was in it obviously a different attire, not a true yeah, warm up attire. Yeah. He was doing some things, not a true warm up. He was doing some physical activity on the court last so, night. So all right, now we have to temper our expectations. He's a very talented player, but these days coaches get to start working with their players earlier than normal. Like yeah. so, they've been working. Like practice starts in September now. It mm-hmm. used to start in October. But, but now it starts in September. They've been working individual drills since August. Yeah. So it's November now. So basically, he's about three months behind every other freshman. So in February, he's going to be at the point all the other freshmen are at now as far as his knowledge of the system and everything. So he's he's way behind from a conditioning standpoint, his knowledge of the system, 
and everything. So like he's not going to be able to hit the ground running. So the knowledge you, of the system, at least on the court. Right, 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 right. So you've got to people have to temper their expectations. Yeah, there with I, I do think. I mean, because I, I asked Mike about MJ Collins on uh, on Thursday after the Lehigh game, and he essentially was like, "Look, man, I don't have anybody else to play correct, right now." Correct. Correct. You know, tech tech. That's why Camden Johnson, the walk on, is playing minutes. You know, he played like. Probably eight, eight, eight or nine against, minutes yeah. against against Lehigh, yeah. and and that's because the only other, you know, he's the only other wing, so to speak, Mike has outside of MJ Collins right now. That isn't Darius Maddox or Hunter Couture. So mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see how everything kind of shakes out, and you know, like right now he's trying to play John Camden and Lynn Kidd and my Malajal Poti and Grant Basili and how how he can work in kind of the mix of everybody. I think it's going to come down to who can play the best defense. Yep. It certainly gives you a good idea of the depth that we have when we score 94 points and Mutz only has two. That's right. That's yeah, exactly that's, right. That's right. Um, and Padula and Couture each had 22. It, it could be anybody. Like Almost everybody they put out there is capable of scoring double figures on any given night. Yeah. Makes us a very, very efficient offensive team, very fun offensive team to watch. You mentioned Sean Padula, who had a little bit of an injury scare. I think everyone held their breath when he went back into the locker room at the first half. Maybe. Yeah, it was the. I think it was kind of in like the, like probably around like eight six minute mark. I think in the first half, he like went up for a layup and then came down and was limping. And then he media timeout went to the locker room, came back out. He was good. Couture was limping at one point. But too. Yeah, 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 there yeah, were so, a couple guys. So there was a couple times I was like, all right, just just stop the game. Yeah. <laughs> That's something that we don't need is injuries to our basketball To the backcourt right especially, now, especially. especially yeah. With, with, with Rice already out. Yeah. yeah. Of course, they beat Lehigh 78-52 to on Thursday. Now the Charleston Classic awaits, which tips off Thursday at 2 p.m. against ODU. We'll get into that more on Wednesday's epi- episode. But beyond that lies a four-game stretch with Minnesota, North Carolina, Dayton, and Oklahoma State. So we're going to learn nice. a lot about this team in the coming weeks. Yeah, I'm 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 excited to to get, get a chance to check them out in Charleston. I mean... The teams they're playing are not necessarily world beaters. Penn State is a top 35 Ken Palm team, and Furman, I think, is right around 65. I think a lot of those, a lot of the teams are top 100 um, or right about 110, um, besides um, Old Dominion, who I think is like 180 something in, in Ken Palm. But this is going to, these are going to be the best teams Virginia Tech's played to this point in the season. And, you're not going to be able to be lackadaisical. You're not going to have have the ability to just sit back and and, and say, "All right, like, you know, I, I'm not. I can't. Like, you're not going to be able to take a possession off." I guess is what I'm saying defensively, right. because I think Virginia Tech hasn't necessarily been locked in in that aspect on you know everybody on every single possession. Like, I, I made a comment to, to somebody last night. Like, Hunter Couture comes comes around screens like to defend but faster than anybody I've ever really seen. Um, but then there were times last night where even guys like Sean Padula are coming off the screen and they're a couple seconds behind or um, the rotation looks slow mm-hmm. a lot of times mm-hmm. where like guy drives down and two guys collapse instead of one right. and kick to an open man and Tech just stands around and goes, you know, what can we do? Yeah. So the defense is going to take a sec, but... I don't know if anybody's got a better offense in the ACC yeah, than Tech. That's true. Before we go, Gio, is there any additional questions in the YouTube chat? 
I don't know. I think we knocked it, knocked it out of the park today. Okay. Well, what's coming up on Tech Sideline? Liberty Preview Wednesday. David, you'll have content from the Charleston Classic, I guess, starting yes. Thursday night. Thursday yeah, late afternoon. Uh, we've got, I mean, regular football week, though I'm not going to football. Uh, Jack, Br- Jack Brizendine. Well, and I, I don't know how if I'm really going to be able to watch it because it's on ESPN+. I, Plus. I'm not watching um, it. So, so, yeah, fo- regular football tomorrow on Tuesday, and then Wednesday we've got practice. Um, I will be driving down to Charleston. Tech plays at 2 p.m. on on Thursday at, on ESPN2 against ODU. So I'll be there, and hopefully early afternoon games are, are the way to go. I would I would really appreciate that. But yes, yeah, yeah, so, so you can enjoy Charleston nightlife. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. I'll I'll have uh, some ba- I'll have basketball stuff from Charleston. There's a women's basketball game tonight. Um, obviously they're in the Bahamas next week. Um, lucky Evan Hughes. Lucky Evan Hughes. Um, so yeah, and uh, regular football week, nothing. Yeah, nothing's gonna more, be regular stuff for me. Nothing more yeah, there. Yep. Yeah, just got to get it done faster so I can watch the basketball games. Yeah, absolutely. Well, another great episode of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Want to thank you for tuning in and thank everybody on set today. Will Stewart, who is in our first half founder and general manager of Tech Sideline, he's at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline, he's at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. David Cunningham joined us for ACC Power Rankings and a little, and a little basketball talk. He's at the Real D Cunna on Twitter. My, I just okay. I put the wrong thing in here because I put the fact that Carter was doing the fourth chair. So it is not <laughs> Carter. It's Giovanni Heater in the fourth chair today. Thank you, Gio, for your points today. Carter Hill producing behind the scenes. And I'm Katie Adams signing off on episode 271 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Enjoy your week and enjoy. And we'll see you on Wednesday for the Liberty Preview.